The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hi, thank you very much, Ryan Watson. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. I am the namesake. This is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley region of West Virginia and Ohio. Subscribe to new episodes every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. We post the link to the new episodes there as well. We have a ton to get to this week between the openers from last week in Ohio, the West Virginia openers this week. News and notes coming up for you. We'll take a look at some rules changes. Changes for this year with WVSSAC Assistant Executive Director Wayne Ryan. Taryn Malone joins in. He and I both discuss some players to watch in 2022. We'll look at the games of the week this week, and we'll talk about the art of ranking players by position in the first place. A lot of ground to cover this week, so we'll get right to it. Ohio schools had their openers. It seems early for a lot of people. We're still adjusting to Ohio's season starting as early as it does. After the pandemic, they added a round to the playoffs. It was just last year. And so because of that extra round of the playoffs, they start their season a week early. Earlier. And because they don't have a bye week, their seasons start one week earlier than West Virginia's seasons, and the regular seasons end two weeks earlier than West Virginia regular seasons. But to get back to the football, River overpowered Marietta in a Thursday night special, 52 to 22. The Pilots dominated in the late second quarter and early third quarters to race to the victory. Marietta was keeping up with River in the first half before the Pilots put things into third gear and cruised away. They opened up what was a one-score game. Cabell Isley led the way through the air for River, 255 yards passing touchdowns to two different receivers to lead River to a 52-22 win over Marietta. Bridgeport, Ohio pulled away from Frontier 34-22. The Cougars were very one-sided offensively, and that's something that Russ Morris said that they expected to be. They expected to be a very run-heavy team this year. It seems like with Lucas Cox in his first year quarterback, he's still getting the flow of the passing game and, and getting into the mix there. Nearly all of their 299 total yards and all three of their scores came on the ground. The aforementioned Lucas Cox, 19 carries, 182 yards, yards and two touchdowns on the ground. The big thing about this game, the big takeaway, Frontier last year was known for their takeaways on defense. They did not get any Thursday. They lost the turnover battle after losing two of their five fumbles. So the Cougars not able to replicate the recipe that led to their success last year, at least not defensively, and they fall 34-22 to Bridgeport, Ohio. Waterford won 18-6 over Crooksville, and I don't usually talk about Waterford a lot on this show, except for the fact that they play Williamstown this Friday. And get this, the Waterford Wildcats can committed 19 penalties for 173 yards. Almost like some of the stuff we were seeing from Parkersburg South last year as far as penalties are concerned. But 19 penalties for 173 yards. I'll try to clean that up when they play Williamstown next week. That was a game that went double overtime last year between Williamstown and Waterford. And remember, Waterford then will be playing their second game of the season against a Williamstown team that will only be playing in their opener. Williamstown lost that game last season, and they had a strong season after that. They went to the state championship game, or they lost that game, the state runners-up. They're hungry for this season and they're ready to go so Waterford had better watch out and even though they'll be in their second game and a tough test for Williamstown the Yellow Jackets are hungry and they are ready to go in the 2022 campaign. Some news and notes the first Metro News power rankings of the season were released on Sunday and not a surprise Martinsburg tops the AAA poll unanimously number one the defending state champs are at the top with Fairmont Senior and Wheeling Central at the top of the polls in class AA and class A respectively. I'm a little surprised to see Wheeling Central 
struggle there. Not so much that they took away Ritchie County's votes. The defending champion Rebels notably lost two-time LKC Player of the Year Gus Morrison. But I'm a little surprised that Williamstown didn't get more votes. They had some, but not as many as I thought they would. So it was Wheeling Central, Williamstown, and Ritchie County splitting votes with Wheeling Central getting the lion's share of those votes. People know Ritchie County lost some players to graduation, probably why they ended up fourth in that poll and Williamstown second. But again, Wheeling Central atop the Class A poll, Fairmont Senior in AA and in AAA, the defending state champion Martinsburg Bulldogs. Tara Malone will join from Metro News later in the program and he'll have much more on the poll in all three classes. I'm surprised Parkersburg South is not in this top 10. Princeton is another team I've heard some good things about this year. So on a statewide level, I'm surprised they're out of it. And again, some intrigue there. And again, this is all preseason stuff. You know, voters are basing those polls, basing those picks on what people did last year, what they're expected to have back this year, and what they've heard at the proverbial water cooler, whether that's online, through message boards, through other previews, or by talking to people. So some intrigue there. We'll see how it plays out. We'll have much more on that later on. I know Taryn Malone is going to comment on the power rankings when he joins us later in the program. We talked last week a little bit about federal hawking. It's an Ohio school that really doesn't weigh into our discussions a whole lot. However, a decision that was made there impacts one local school. Federal hawking did not have the numbers to continue with either in middle school or high school football season this year. So officials there decided to cancel that season. They made that decision four days into practice. Payton City was scheduled to open their season at home against Federal Hawking on Friday. Their bye week is in week two. So as a result of the cancellation of Federal Hawking season, as of right now, unless something changes, and it's doubtful that it will at this point, as close as we are to the season, it looks like Payton City will have two bye weeks to start the season. They won't open until September 9th at home against Montcalm. And now their home season reduces from five games to just four. So Payton City on the bad end of Federal Hawking's inability to field a team. They'll have two weeks off. It'll be tough to keep that team fresh and to keep that team hungry and ready to go for those two weeks between the time where the scrimmages happen and the time where they're ready to start the season, but they'll have to wait even longer. September 9th against Montcalm. That's when we'll see the Peyton City Wildcats in action for the first time this season. And finally, a quick nugget from Tyler Consolidated's Jaden Helmick. We'll talk about him later in the program, but Jaden Helmick announced on his social media platforms this week that he has decided to continue his academic and baseball career at Glenville State University. I know it's not really high school football news, but he's going to play high school football this year, and he's going to be a collegiate athlete. So again, that's definitely something that for Helmick, it's got to be nice to have off the plate in the senior year. You can enjoy your senior year, enjoy your athletic career in high school without having to think about where you're going to go to college and having that offer. He has decided to play baseball at Glenville State University. So congratulations, Jaden, on making that decision. I don't always do a definitive ranking of players by position or best players in the state, best players in the region or anything like that, because I always feel like those kind of lists inevitably forget some people. Taryn Malone and I had this conversation earlier this week. We texted back and forth about that just a little bit over the weekend. But I did want to leave some players to watch here. Again, no definitive order. This is based entirely on my opinion, what I've seen, what I've heard about these guys. These are some guys I think are in line to have some breakout seasons in 2022. First off, Parkersburg South Cyrus Traw, one of the best receivers in the state, one of the best players in the area this season, coming off of a 1,000-yard receiving year last year. The senior and four-year starter for Parkersburg South is poised to lead that team. He's not the only weapon they have. He'll team up for the second straight year with two-year starter Robert Shockey, a quarterback. Shockey's only a junior, but he and Traw working together for a second straight year. Some other exciting weapons for South we'll tell you about in upcoming weeks, but Cyrus Traw, definitely the guy that gets it going at Parkersburg South. St. Mary's speedy running back Josh Roush 
is also on my list. Very fast runner, a track star, and a guy that has revitalized that Blue Devil running game by bringing something they really haven't had in the backfield since Jaden Smith, and that is speed. They always have power in the backfield. They have some talent in the running back spot, but Roush brings a speed they had not had. He's in his second year after transferring over from Ripley before last season, but big things coming from Josh Roush. A possible pick later in the year as an LKC Player of the Year and a candidate going into the preseason. Another LKC preseason candidate for Player of the Year. You'd have to think Ethan Hot of Ritchie County. The talented quarterback for the Rebels helped lead that squad to a state championship last season. The big challenge he's going to face this year, and it's twofold. A lot of his weapons graduated and his offensive line graduated. And the only guy that was returning from the line, Morgan Knight, moved back into the backfield. So five new starters up front for head coach Rick Hot and the Ritchie County Rebels and some new offensive weapons. Can they utilize Austin Bartlett, the tight end? That might be the key to their success, especially early on. And how successfully will some of those guys in the backfield step in? You look at Morgan Knight to maybe play the role that Brandon Riddle played last year. The fullback, the change of pace back, the beef in the backfield to block. Bodie Utter is the guy for Ritchie County that stands to get a lot of those carries. Will those weapons be ready and how much will Haunt have to shoulder? That's going to be the big question for Ritchie County this year. The learning curve. Can they conquer that learning curve and how quickly? That's going to be the big story for Ritchie County's season, at least in the first half. We'll stay with the small school ranks and give you Williamstown's Ricky Allen, another preseason LKC Player of the Year pick. Ricky Allen doesn't get all the attention that Max Melissa gets. Their quarterback, Melissa, another fine player. I didn't leave him off this list because you know about Max Melissa. He's a great player, a quarterback, throws the ball well, runs the ball well. People pay attention to Max Melissa. Of course, he's committed to WVU to play baseball, a good baseball player, a good football player as well. But I think maybe Ricky Allen gets a little lost in the shuffle. Good athlete, strong, strapping young man, and I think he's going to carry this Williamstown team far from the backfield. Back to the big school ranks, PHS David Parsons. Not really QB1 last year, at least not in name, but in position and based on the reps he got, by and large, yeah, he was QB1. This will be his first full season leading that squad under center. What can he do for Matt Kimes in his first season? A couple picks that maybe you're not expecting. Guys in new positions, guys that maybe you don't know a ton about. We talked about Rivers Cabell Isley earlier. Two touchdown passes, 245 yards. I got a chance to watch this guy a little bit on film from last week against Marietta. Big arm, good pocket presence. Typical drop-back pocket passer. He's got pretty good size as well, but if he wants to play college football, wouldn't surprise me to see him play at some level on Saturdays. Tyler Consolidated's Jaden Helmick is somebody not a lot of people know about. However, Helmick is poised to step in and help carry some of that load that Trenton Huffman carried. Of course, he transferred to Doddridge County. We talked about that last week on the show. So a new quarterback coming and some new weapons on offense coming for Tyler Consolidated. Helmick, perhaps best known athletically as a baseball player and is a very good baseball player at that. A good short stop good athlete, really came on as a pitcher toward the end of last year. That athleticism will be utilized on the football field as well. Helmick was in the running to play quarterback this year. However they use him at Tyler Consolidated, he is somebody that if you don't know his name as a football player now, he'll grab your attention and do so in a hurry. Lucas Cox from Frontier, the last guy on this list. He is a run-first guy. They used him as a receiver and a runner last year, and now he's stepping in a quarterback after the graduation of J.D. Schmidt. So we'll see what he does throwing the ball. Only completed one of nine passes last week, so if he can get a little more consistent there and add that weapon. He'll be a really nice dual threat because we know he can already get it done with his legs. And if he can throw the ball, that'll give Frontier a nice change of pace as the Cougars try to get back to the postseason again. Again, by all means, not a definitive list of all the players to watch, all the star players, but these are the guys I've got my eyes on to do big things early in the season. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a few 
major edition of the show. Let's go between the hash marks and talk about some 2022 rules changes. I know the rules are one of those parts of the game that everyone likes to think they know more than they really do about football and knowing the rules of the game. The National Federation of State High School Associations adopted some new rules this year, new definitions of chop blocks and intentional groundings. A new clarification of a chop block will increase player safety, one would think, while intentional grounding has been made to be much more like the college rule than it had been before. Before, a pass had to be near a receiver for it not to be intentional grounding. Now, the quarterback can get outside of the pocket, or what is technically referred to as the free blocking zone, and then throw the ball downfield to get rid of it. That also is a safety measure as well. It doesn't penalize the quarterback for throwing the ball away and letting a team get back to the line of scrimmage for another play. This week, we sat down with WVSSAC Assistant Executive Director Wayne Ryan and recapped some of the rules changes you can expect to see this season. This week, we're talking about rules changes for the 2022 high school football season. I'm joined by Wayne Ryan, the Assistant Executive Director of the WVSSAC. Coach Ryan, glad to have you back with us again. Well, it's good to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. The rules changes, by and large, looking at a couple of particular areas, make this game look more like the college game, look more like the program, what people are used to seeing on TV. Is there an intentional aspect of that, or is this just changes that were made primarily with safety, but they also happen to make the game look more like what people are used to seeing on TV? Well, you know that with your with your second option there, it was a safety factor. It's been considered for several years, but at the same time, every Friday night, you hear the fans yelling, and even sometimes the, the coaches yelling that didn't understand the rules, especially, you know, the, the ability to throw the ball away outside of the lateral boundary of the free blocking zone. A lot of people refer to that as a tackle box, but there's no such thing as a rule book. But you'll see that runner or quarterback outside that area now be able to throw the ball away as long as it passes the line of scrimmage without a loss of down. Everybody was calling for that, like you said, because they saw it on Saturday and Sunday, but it was not It was not in the high school rule book. And so it's been considered a, a, at the national level for safety for several years, and then finally this year has passed. So, so you pretty much nailed that. So again, the rule for intentional grounding a little bit different this year. There is an out that allows the quarterback to get rid of it. Is that more of a self-preservation for the quarterback and an interesting team strategy, too, in that you're able to live to see another down, literally and proverbially? Right. And it's it's not just the quarterback, actually. Now, you'll probably only see the quarterback do it because it's not a running back's mentality. But anyone outside that lateral boundary of the free blocking zone can throw that ball away as long as it advances past the line of scrimmage, even if that's out of bounds. The rules put in for safety of a quarterback in general, but they will have that strategic option if they chose to use it. And, you know, you're going to deal with the loss of downs. So the defense still has that reward. So the savvy player on a double reverse going wrong would be wise to chuck it. As long as it goes beyond the line of scrimmage, you're good. Correct. Absolutely correct. The other rule change that was made with safety in mind, too, is the definition of a chop block. That was redefined a bit this year. Can you describe that for us? It really gave clarity to our officials and, and helps them to be able to officiate a little bit because now you cannot hit above the waist and below the waist in combination. It used to be it had to be above the knee and below the knee, so two could go low. Now it's much easier to find what it is, and I think that will help our officials and clean the game up a little bit. And again, those are also done with safety in mind. And those are hits that come simultaneously. They're correct. It has to make the game a little easier to follow for the people in the stands. And I know that's not the primary uh, objective here. The primary objective is keeping people safe. But is it at least a positive side effect that these rules do stand to make it a little easier for people to understand the game as they watch? You know, just to be honest, I wish people would just get more informed <laughs> instead of yelling and screaming about stuff they don't know. That's kind of a good uh, analogy for life. <laughs> in the social media age, I wish, I wish life were more like that. 
that. And it's serious, you know, because you, you have a lot of fans, you have a lot of people screaming and yelling things. They do not even know what they're talking about. When you have knowledge, you have power. When you have power and some knowledge, you usually don't scream things out very loud. But yeah. anyway, a sportsmanship that takes it to that realm, that's always a point of emphasis and something we're concerned about this year. We want language cleaned up on the field because we think that is a direct revolt. We think the fact that language on the field, language on the sideline translates into the behavior in the bleachers thinking that's okay. And it's really not okay. We need to behave better. We need to appreciate the kids out there playing, the officials out there officiating, and the coaches coaching. We need to support those kids, and we need to lose the negativity, and we need not to be uninformed. Is that primarily coaches, players, all of the above? Well, it's all the above, but I, I think our concern has become more and more the people in the bleachers, the, 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 the fans. And again, they don't really have a, a vested interest except they're a fan. And the seven bucks that paid to get in. Which is irrelevant. That does not give you the right to say what you want and act as you please. It absolutely does not. It absolutely does not. And, you know, another thing that we're going to see for the first time is the number zero on a high school football field. It doesn't impact anything tremendously, but it's going to be an unusual look. Now, you can't have a double zero, but they did make the, the number zero itself legal. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly uniforms have the number zero. It may be a couple years when the new uniform rules go into effect, but uh, you'll see number zero out there. You haven't seen that before. Now, we had the option in West Virginia to also expand the coaching box, the team box on the sideline. We did that during COVID. And so we kind of felt like we had a two-year trial and we just truly believed it's not needed and not necessary. So we're not going to do that in West Virginia. So the, the teams that play in Ohio, I think they've made some extension of some sort. But in West Virginia, we're going to keep the team box the same. And another big point of emphasis from the NFHS, and you should probably mention this too, these are rules changes that are from the National Federation. This isn't like the office here in Parkersburg, you all sat around and these were things you came up with. These were the National Federation's high school changes and points of emphasis. One of them is defenseless receivers and making sure that they get the protection that they need. That's a point of emphasis from the National Federation. But, you know, in our state, we have not had a big issue with that. Our state's been pretty clean on that, well-officiated and well-coached. Give our coaches credit. So we haven't had a big issue, knock on wood, in our state. And now that it's a sporting emphasis, we wouldn't expect one. The way that process works with the National Federation rules, our state clinician, Larry McCloy, is a member of that National Federation committee. And uh, he and I both attend the national meeting every year. Of course, you get rule proposals in advance to evaluate, study, analyze. You go and uh, they're broken down by committee, whether they're a safety rule or an editing rule or whatever category they come in and then they're discussed hard in the committee a vote's taken whether it should come out to the floor for discussion comes out you have discussion goes back to committee comes out for total vote so everything is scrutinized pretty uh, heavily and usually a rule change seldom will, will take place in the first year of its proposal it usually has to be milled around studied discussed argued over for two or three years before something makes it for a rule to make it through in one year is very unusual occasionally that happens because it's just a no-brainer, but mm -hmm. the process is rather complex, and the, the national level does a great job scrutinizing the rules. And like I say, if you look at the last decade, football has become a much safer sport to play, and, and a majority of the rules have been geared around safety factors. And not to go schoolhouse rock on this, but that's pretty much how any state legislature works as well. Correct. Looking at the people that are administering these rules, I know this was a big part of our discussion last year, officiating. Last week when Ohio opened, I know the OVAC asked some of those coaches to consider playing games on alternate 
children at nights as a means to allow them to be able to staff those games with officials. Where are we now in West Virginia with staffing officials? Are we getting closer to a point to where we may need to try to talk some teams and some games into going some other nights other than Friday? We don't want to go there, but that's certainly a possibility as you look down the road. And we've made that clear for a couple years, and we've worked really hard to try to get younger people into officiating and more people into officiating. And in the sport of football, we've made some, some major changes in how you can register and become an official. It used to be you had to spend 30 hours in a chair, and now we've really made the first 15 hours available to you on your own time online. Five hours with our state clinician in a presentation he's put together, which is tremendous, and in 10 hours with a program, a national program called Ref Prep. So you can do half of your training online on your own time, and then you do your five hours in your local board and 10 hours of your on-field training. And we have been really excited about the increase in number of people who've went through rookie school this year. Now, granted, they will not all hold, but we, we are really excited because we've more than doubled our normal number of people in rookie football officiating school. So we're going to hope that enough of those hold and catch that it helps us long term and continues to help grow the number of officials in this state because we do have a concern because we have good officials in this state, but they are aging out and that happens very quickly. Are you getting feedback that indicates that there is an increase that's correlated to that change in educational delivery methods? Sure. I mean, I've been in this position six years. Statewide, we might have low 30s in rookie school. And this year, we're pushing 80 people that are in rookie school. So we really think that's been an encouragement, the freedom and the flexibility to get those 15 hours on your own. And then after those 15 hours, uh, so far, the rate's pretty high on people that are making the decision to go on and get involved with the local board and continue to finish the training process. So that's what we hope for. Fingers are crossed. And we'll continue to evaluate it and do the best we can uh, to grow the number of officials that we do have. And imagine that point of emphasis of sportsmanship really does go hand in hand with encouraging more people to go out as well. Well, we certainly want that because, you know, I think if you're a young official and you have a bad experience, you're, you're much likely to decide, hey, I'm just, you know, don't, don't feel that this is worth it or I, I need to put myself through this. So obviously we'd like for our younger officials to have positive experiences as they grow in their profession. The better they're handled and treated and not mistreated, all the better for all of us. Wayne Ryan's the Assistant Executive Director of the WVSSAC. Thank you so much for your time and going over some of these rules. Good luck as you execute the football season and all the seasons here through the Secondary Schools Activities Commission. Absolutely, Eric. Thank you very much. Appreciate you and enjoy listening to your broadcast. Our Metro News correspondent, Taryn Malone, joins now to talk about the game he'll cover this week, some players to watch this year, and his thoughts on the first Metro News poll of the season. Taryn? Hello again, Eric. This week I'm going to talk briefly about some local players I'm keeping a lookout for for the upcoming season. I'll also preview the game I'll be covering on Thursday for Metro News. And finally, we'll take a look at the new Metro News power rankings as well. The local 18. This is no particular order. These are players that I have been following throughout the years and I'll continue to follow throughout this season. Quarterback Ethan Hot from Ritchie County, tight end Austin Bartlett from Ritchie County, and defensive lineman Morgan Knight from Ritchie County as well. In St. Mary's, quarterback Luke Powell, running back Josh Roush, and running back Joey Ramsey as well. Wide receiver Jaden Helmick from Tyler Consolidated, running back Sean Winfrey from Tyler Consolidated, a plethora of Williamstown Yellow Jackets, including Ricky Allen, quarterback Maxwell Melissa, offensive lineman Aiden Corbett, and tight end Kent Weigel. Dropping down to Parkersburg South, quarterback Robert Shockey is on the list, and wide receiver Silas Traw as well. For PHS, they're under a rebuilding year. It's all led by the quarterback David Parsons. 
He's also followed by wide receiver Logan Hartshorn and wide receiver Anthony Nice and offensive lineman Alex Hay as well. That's a look at the local 18 for this upcoming season. My opening game of the season begins on Thursday as the North Marion Huskies will take the short trip over to East West Stadium to take on East Fairmont. The Huskies are coming off an 8-3 season as the number 6 seed. They would host and defeat Grafton in the opening round of the playoffs last season before falling to Bluefield in the Class AA state quarterfinals. Meanwhile, on the other side, East Fairmont hasn't seen the side of the playoffs since their semifinal run in 2007. The Bees have posted a 4-5 record last fall, just barely missing the Class AA postseason. One of the toughest losses a year ago was to North Marion, as North Marion edged past East Fairmont 28 to 21. I'll have post-game comments from the winning coach next week on the program. I want to move forward to this week's Metro News Power Rankings. They were just released on Monday. We'll start out in Class AAA. Number one, you guessed it, Martinsburg. The defending Class AAA state champions finished out with a 13-1 record last fall, defeating number two, Huntington, the state runners-up. That was also 13-1 last fall, so number one, Martinsburg. Number two, Huntington. Three, Cabell Midland. Four, Bridgeport, five, Spring Valley, six, Jefferson, seven, University, eight, Morgantown, number nine, Hurricane, and number 10, George Washington. Wheeling Park would follow behind at number 11, and at number 12, the Parkersburg South Patriots with 16 points, and also at number 16, Parkersburg. We'll take the leap over to Class AA now. Number one, Fairmont Senior, they received 14 first-place votes. Coming in at number two, the Bluefield Beavers with three first-place votes, and at number three, Independence with also three first-place votes. Followed by number four, Herbert Hoover, number five, Point Pleasant, six, Robert C. Bird, seven, North Marion, eight, Polka, nine, Frankfurt, and number 10, Kaiser. We move on to class single A, number one, Wheeling Central Catholic with 12 first place votes, followed by number two, the state runners up from class single A from a year ago, five first place votes, Williamstown, coming in at number three, Doddridge County. Four, Ritchie County, with three first-place votes. At number five, East Hardy. Six, St. Mary's. Seven, James Monroe. Eight, Mount View. Number nine, Moorefield. And number 10, Cameron. That was a look at the Metro News Power Rankings for week number one of the high school football season. We'll take a look at the Power Rankings throughout the next couple of weeks, see what changes have been made. But Eric, it is finally time for football back in the Mountain State. Reporting in the University City, I'm Taryn Malone, Metro News Sports. We have real games to talk about this week on the West Virginia side of the river. That's the exciting thing. Week two in Ohio, opening week in West Virginia. Our games of the week on this program. I mentioned Williamstown and Waterford, Ohio earlier in the show. That was a double overtime thriller last year in Williamstown. Really a battle of attrition. One late by Waterford on a hot, muggy night, just outlasting Williamstown. Williamstown will get their chance for payback this week. Ritchie County and Tyler Consolidated will be a really, really interesting game. I said this about Ritchie County earlier in the program, but it really applies to Tyler Consolidated as well. The key to their season is going to be how quickly can their new pieces handle the learning curve. With Richie, it's replacing pretty much all their skill players. Tyler Consolidated, they'll need somebody to step into quarterback to replace Trenton Huffman. The Silver Knights did lose Huffman to transfer last year, but they do have the pieces to get up to the postseason this year. If they can win some big wins, this will be a big tuna in week one, a chance for them to make some waves. Well, Richie County has a tough early season. To be honest with you, if they can survive their early season slate and go two and 
three. I think you'd have to be happy with that if you're Rick Hot in the Rebels. Of course, they'd like to be five and zero. They'll tell you they'd like to be five and zero. However, realistically, that's going to be very difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible. Not saying they're not going to be favored in some of those games. But you look at their schedule, and it's not an easy one. Not one you'd envy to have your first half of a season, especially not a season where you're not a veteran team. After Tyler consolidated, the Rebels are off for a week, and then they'll visit Wahama. Always a tough out. And then they go at St. Mary's on a Thursday night. That's a different animal altogether. And then they're home against Doddridge County, a team that just got better by getting Trenton Huffman to transfer from Tyler Consolidated. And he'll play quarterback for Doddridge County as they're ready to reload. And then home against Ravenswood. So again, Tyler, St. Mary's, Doddridge in the first half of the season. Wahama took them down to the wire last year as well. So if you're Ritchie County and you're 2-3, and three, not bad. 3-2, and two, that would be better because you probably beat someone that maybe not everyone expected you to beat. 4-1 and one would be sterling because you've probably got a signature win in your resume. If you're 5-0, and oh, you may repeat on the island. 2-3 and three is something that you have to be happy with if you're Ritchie County to come out of that first half of the season. Not an easy first half of their season, but a big, big test against Tyler Consolidated in Week 1. Then finally, St. Mary's and Roan County. Roan County actually knocked off St. Mary's in St. Mary's 6-0 last year. And while St. Mary's missed the playoffs, they were 6-4. and four. And you could look at any one of a number of things, any one of a number of games that cost them the chance to go to the playoffs. I think the easiest one to draw a line to and say this is where it didn't happen was in their opener last year. And when it happened, we even talked about that a little bit. This is one that they're going to wish they had back. And it's definitely true of St. Mary's and Roan County last year. Hard to look at week one and say that's what cost them the playoffs. But St. Mary's lost 6-0 in a game where they had two drives stall inside the five-yard line. It's hard for me to look at that and not say that that is the game, put a big circle around it, that's the game that if they win it, boost them in for two reasons. One, it would have been a win and 7-3 and looks a lot better than 6-4 and and would have given them more points. But two, Roan County was not only a playoff team last year, but they were a double-A playoff team. So you get the bonus points of knocking off a double-A team and you get all the wins from Roan County. That one would have boosted St. Mary's significantly had they won that game. A chip on the Blue Devil shoulders, perhaps. And we'll see how it plays out this week against Roan County. Our game's on Seven Rangers Radio this week. Light Rock 93R has that St. Mary's Roan County battle. V96.9 has Parkersburg South season openers. The Patriots host the Capital Cougars. That was a one-point game last year and decided by a two-point conversion that wasn't converted by Capital at the end of that game. And WVAM, the True Oldies Channel, has PHS and St. Albans. Before we go, I want to talk about the art of player rankings. Taryn Malone and I talked about players to watch this year, and he gave some of his and I gave some of mine. By no means are those definitive rankings. I think sometimes people get a little confused as to what an outlet does and what their purpose is and the resulting content that they produce. And really this has started with the rise of a website called Coalfields & Co. Coalfields & Co., if you look at their website, they even tell you just as much. They're former players and coaches who are trying to help West Virginia student-athletes get to the next level as much as possible. And by doing so, they're trying to get some pub, get some recognition for some of these athletes. They rank players, and they do it on a formula. They do it because they watch a lot of film. They rank you by your size, by your athleticism, and by what they see on film, the eye test, essentially. 
What they're trying to do is trying to give the student-athlete some publicity, and that makes the student-athlete and his family a lot happier, but that also provides a service for college coaches in the state. So college coaches will be more likely to see or need what Coalfields & Co. does than I would. I get people sending me Coalfields & Co. links all the time, and no disrespect to what they do. What they do is provide a valuable service, but I'm looking for a different kind of coverage than what they're providing. They're providing hype for players, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're providing hype for players and trying to get players players noticed by coaches and trying to organize things so that coaches have a better idea of who they need to be looking at. Again, a valuable service, but a little bit different than what I do. And so when you see Coalfields and co-ranked players, that's how they're doing it. They are a business that's designed to watch a ton of film and rank people based on that. I don't have that kind of time. Metro News doesn't have that kind of time. Your local newspapers don't have that kind of time. The TV stations don't have that kind of time. And so when you wonder why some outlets do those kind of rankings and some don't, that's why. And I think everybody will look at other more traditional outlets like, well, why don't you have a player ranking? That's why. We rank teams. There's a Metro News Power Rankings Index. I'm a proud voter of that and have been for a long time. That's a little bit different than ranking players because when you rank the player like that, you really have to know a lot about the player, their makeup, and you have to go on something other than what you're hearing about. You don't always have to have seen a team to rank them in a poll, but for a player, if you're going to rank a player in some kind of a top this at this position, kind of poll, you'd better have seen them on film, and you'd better have seen them more than one time. So again, not knocking what Coalfields and Co. is doing, but I just want to throw this out there to let some of you know that what they're doing is providing something different than what I'm looking to do, than what radio, TV, newspapers are looking to do. It's very positive coverage, all of it, hopefully. However, it's just in a bit of a different skew, and that's why you don't see the definitive rankings. You'll never hear that on this show. I'm not going to go down and rank you know, best right tackles by position in the state. No, I don't have the time, don't have the energy to do anything like that. And again, it's a lot, but that's their business. That's what they do. And again, they seem to be doing well at it. People like them. I will say this. I didn't realize until I clicked on their site this week, under the radio and broadcast tab, they not only promote my company's broadcasts, the stations that we have and the broadcast that we produce, but they promote this show and they have a link to this show. So officially, Coalfields & Co., thank you so much for that. You didn't have to do that. And I, I greatly appreciate that help and the publicity. And hopefully people are looking for the content there. They can do that. And again, you know, I'm glad if this segment funnels people to you, it's coalfields.org by all means, you know, uh, check out what they do. But again, thank you for the publicity. But for those of you that don't know, different needs, different purposes, different audiences. You can download new episodes every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us if you'd like. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Next week, we will take a look at the openers. We'll recap the season openers for West Virginia schools week two in Ohio, and we'll share the top five things we've learned so far about the teams in the area, and that's based on the openers in West Virginia in the preseason and two games in Ohio in the preseason over there, but the top five things we've learned about area teams so far. Should be fun after seeing them just a couple times. That'll be a fun challenge, and I'll see if I'm up to it. I'm Eric Little. Thank you for joining us for the podcast this week. We'll do it again next week, and until then, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening. Absolutely, Eric. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, and enjoy listening to your broadcast.